Peace, peace, and welcome. We're glad you're here. This is the Cook on Monday Morning Podcast. I am here with the homie, the neighborhood legend, the critically acclaimed best rapper in San Francisco history. Oh, man. <laughs> pressure, pressure. No, the community yeah. leader, the activist, the youth empower. Yes, sir. It's a blessing to have you here. Big Thank Rich. you for having me. Thank you for having me, Stevon. Like, I've been waiting to get on here. We've been trying to put this together for a long time. I'm just grateful to be here. You know, we got a lot to talk about. Yeah. Absolutely. And good morning. <laughs> good morning. Yeah, good morning. We up. Yeah, yeah. Early morning, you know what I mean? I was up at 7 getting ready, you know what I mean? So, yeah, no, I was like, it was cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. At uh, Cook on Monday Morning, we believe that if you own Monday morning, you can own the week. If you own the week, you can own the year. And if you change your year, you can change your life. And so um, we are in uh, Hayes Valley. Um, I, I mentioned that Big Rich is a... Uh, a neighborhood legend. He's a native of the Fillmore. And before um, all of the work he was doing with Project Level, he was very active in music. Mm-hmm. Saw a lot of the community, a lot of the community change. I think it's considered one of our most celebrated civic leaders. I want to get into so much about your story, mm-hmm. um, but let's start with uh, Project Level. What is Project Level? Um, Project Level is like, it's like my third child, you know? Um, it was it was it was a passion project after well I did rap music since I was eleven years old and I loved it. I was introduced to it young, um, fell in love with it, and that's the only thing I did my whole life. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like I gave up everything to do music. And <clears throat> excuse me, I um had a nice run. I did I did some cool things, but I always kinda had an idea or a plan to retire early. I didn't see myself like, well, when I was young, I thought 30 years old was an old man. Like, I was like, man, I'm not going to be an old man rapping still. You know what I mean? <laughs> now, looking back on 30, I'm like, I was still a kid. I could have kept going. But I had a plan on retiring from rap at 30 and going into the next phase, which is always going to be business. I didn't know it was going to be community work. And um, <clears throat> But looking back on it, um, Project Level stemmed from the passion that we always had of putting other folks on. We used to like... Like during my career, I used to have 20, 30 young artists around me at all times. Like we used to go shows like when you booked Big Rich back in the day in in 06 to 2010, you already knew that he was going to have six opening acts on his set. You know Mm -hmm. what I'm saying? Like if you book me for an hour, I'm probably going to perform for 15 minutes and the other 45 is going to be my young artist I was trying to develop. So I always wanted to put people on. And um, in 2010, 2011, when the like when the digital world was coming into the music game, mm-hmm. we didn't really understand it at that time. We didn't know that streaming was gonna happen. We didn't know that iTunes was gonna take off the way it did. So just like most rappers during that time, it was a big dip in CD sales. And we got scared. We was like, man, what's going on? So just on some business stuff, at 29, I was like, I told Danielle, my wife, you know, I was like, she was always my business manager the whole time. And um, my partner and everything, so I like, we gotta, we gotta take what we have and we gotta go invest it somewhere else and expand. We gotta start looking at it. And then the opportunity came. And um, in 2004, so this, this is around 2010, 2011. Mm-hmm. Um, in 2004, before I got my record deal, London had just built a studio over at the Culture Center. Okay. Yeah. And she told me to come through and teach some classes with the kids. I didn't know what I was doing. I was still a kid myself trying to get my stuff together. It didn't work out too good, but I remembered that. So. When we was phasing out of the rap game, um, London was like, hey, Rich, we ran to each other. She was like, hey, 
you need to get back up in there. We need some programming. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, last time it wasn't good, but me and Danielle, we got the we got the dope idea this time. So let's sit down. We sat, we gave her, we pitched her what project level would become. It kind of was just an idea at that time. She loved it. She said, let's go. So it was like crunch time for us to start putting it together. So the birth of project level <clears throat> started off more of as a um how should I say, like a music program mixed in with a little bit of film aspect and um and marketing. We wanted to kind of teach kids how to be like a, a multifaceted artist. You know mm -hmm. what I'm saying? And kind of can do everything, can engineer their own work, film their own stuff, and then know how to put it into the market. You know what I'm saying? So we started out that way, but then when the kids started coming in and they they didn't they didn't know how to rap, you know what I mean? But they loved dancing. So mm -hmm. the kids started the dance department. You know what I mean? Then the other kids that didn't know how to dance. It was like, well, we like to, you know, we like to take pictures. We like to, you know, dress nice. We, you know, we're pretty. It's a lot of girls in Project Level, young women in Project Level. So all of them wanted to do makeup and do all this. Other, you know what I mean? So mm -hmm, mm -hmm. the fashion department was developed because of that. So we just kind of like whatever need, whatever they needed and whatever they wanted. Me and Danielle's role was to take all the resources we had from the rap game and from the industry in general and pump it into project level mm -hmm. to get these kids like what I like to call like tangible opportunities, right? Mm -hmm. Where they can actually like work on their craft five days a week and then on, on the weekend, they perform in front of 10,000 people there on, on video sets or movie sets or commercial sets and working and, and it's coming together good. Yeah. It's coming together good. Yeah. yeah, I had heard of the organization before I actually saw it mm -hmm. happen and uh, you know, we were all on the first band basis with, with the yeah. mayor. We talking about Mayor London Bree. Oh, yeah, Mayor London Bree. Yeah, yeah. Sorry about that. Yeah, I said London. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At the time, she was uh, running the African-American Culture Center mm -hmm. over on Fulton Street. And so, I, yeah, I, I heard of you. I've heard of the organization. And when mm -hmm. you invited me to come check it out mm -hmm. um, in the Cultural Center, it was just like uh, this buzzing space. Mm -hmm. It was mm -hmm. like a, a lot of young people there. Definitely. Uh, they were all sort of in, in separate spaces working on different aspects of um, something that you all were all bringing together mm -hmm. and um it was like and there were a lot of youth leaders mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and so you know and I'm, I'm talking to these young people they're like maybe in their um, late teens mm -hmm. early 20s and they had already put together like very successful events mm -hmm. and so i'm just you know i'm talking to a student i had no idea yeah yeah like, i know i know so, oh yeah i did something last month we had a few thousand people there and I yeah was like, i know like huh like i know i know it's, it's a it's, trip it's yeah. a trip and so you really um yeah so um you 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 very much have put young people from the neighborhood in a position to lead mm -hmm. and there's this whole i think bay area um uh, history around it being independent. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, and so uh, you, mm -hmm. and so all that is like really incredible. Thank you, bro. Thank um, you. What is the uh, what has been some of like the the things you've learned as you've been building the organization? Things mm -hmm. that you like some some major Man, lessons. Um, it's a learn it's a learning experience every day. You know, coming from the the rap game, it was it was you know it was a it was it was a hustle, but it was a different kind of hustle. Learning the um, you know, becoming an organization, a nonprofit organization, and learning the terminologies and the language and how to navigate through, we, we've been learning on the fly from the jump, right? And then coming into it, you know, like I have a lot of celebrity friends that that kind of just like to do the philanthropy side of it. And that's kind of more clean cut, simple, you know, like I want to I wanna do a, you know, Christmas giveaway or I want to do a Christmas tree giveaway like we do with Matt Barnes every year. Um, they 
it's, it's I, I come in, I show my presence, I you know cut a check, I'm, I get a team to put the event together, and then I'm able to kind of go on and do what I do. And Matt, Matt does it all year round. I'm not saying anything about Matt. Matt's a great, like a great athletes versus athletes versus cancer is his organization, and it's great. But with us, we was like, now nah, we want to create something that goes 365 days a year. So learning how to do that and sustaining that. It's been it's been a, a amazing journey, like just figuring it out. And um, in some places, we kind of accelerated kind of fast. So we're in we're in the rooms with some people that have 20, 30 years of, of experience in, in this sector and in, in the community side. Right. And we have to, like, learn fast. You know what I'm saying? And really, seven and a half years, almost eight years in, we're just now kind of getting to the point where we understand it, where season and we 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 know where we're going even more now. So mm-hmm. <clears throat> seven years of trial and error, like for real, it's been it's been a it's been an amazing but bumpy road for sure. Right, it's you know figuring it out. And then <clears throat> like the ask, like you know, as a rapper, it was extremely competitive. And and we we rap. We, if we all we got to do is just become the hottest rapper in the city. The money was just going to come. You know what I mean? Like bookings, record sales. Um, doing collaborations, getting paid for our work was was pretty much cut and dry. It's like if you hot, we gonna pay you. If you not, mm-hmm. you got to get hot. You know what I'm saying? With this stuff, it's like nah. It's like we felt you know in the first years we was doing a whole lot of work, and we was meeting other folks that was what that just had a very tight you know admin back inside to their to their program, and it was getting a whole lot of funding to do what they do. And then they will call us, call on us some time to use our youth and to fill numbers or to help them with their events. And we like, dang, we over here on the shoestring budget and we got hundreds of kids. And then these folks got maybe 10, but buku dollars. And we weren't angry at that. We were just like, how do we strengthen ourselves to get on that level? You know what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. it's been, that's what we've been learning to be able to get more resources so we can do more for the youth. Right on, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, and the, yeah, and I and I ran a nonprofit, you know, so I know mm-hmm. about that whole nonprofit yeah. Um, yeah. grind. Let's talk about let's talk about the film more. Got it. Let's do it. Go. Oh man, <laughs> what, is, um, the, what is the what is the mean? Everything. <laughs> um, filmo filmo means everything, man. Like um, it. I'm grateful to have been born here with with a very rich culture, you know, um, and being old enough to remember the days when it was it was more black. But even more importantly, it was just it was just more culture. Like, you know, like it was, I mean, Juneteenth and and um just all of the block parties that used to happen and and just 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 you know the fact that we was always walking distance from City Hall and 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 uh, all of the movie theaters. I remember like all my friends from Bayview and from um Petrell Hill, Sunnydale and everything, like they used to have to come over here to go to the kabuki to watch the new movie that came out of his New Jack City or if it's you know, nutty professor, whatever. They used to have to come on this side. So we was like, we were kind of privileged in a way, um, but it was just a great experience. You know, a block down from the full house, you know, houses and stuff. Like, it, it's like, it it was, it just, it just, it's nothing like it. It's like, you know, in, in New York, the iconic neighborhoods in New York, it's like, I feel like San Francisco and Fillmore in general, like stacks up with all of them, with all of the great cities and neighborhoods in, in the world. So um, it was, it was family. It was, you know, like as a kid, we used to, you know, it was that time when we used to get in trouble by our neighbors. You know what I'm saying? Like if I remember one time I was um, experimenting, I was a young person, don't do this. Well, it's legal now, but I remember uh, one of the first times I ever tried smoking weed, um, we was in the courtyard in our buildings in, Ban- in the Bannockers. And um, like 
my dumb self, I'm 13, I don't know, they pass it around the little joint or whatever, and um, I take a puff. And then like five seconds later, like four parents come out on their back balcony, yo dad wants you Richard, get up there right now. They all call my dad, like, yo son out here smoking weed. Oh my God, I was on punishment for like a month. And uh, you know what I mean? Like, but just just the camaraderie, the um growing up in the band, because it was it was a how can I say it, it wasn't public? It was public housing, but it wasn't like a housing project. So we kind of got like both sides. We was kind of well, we we used to be like the rich projects they used to say, right? But um, but that brotherhood, you know, growing up with 20, 30 friends in the same complex, and we experienced Christmas together, we experienced first day of school together. Filmo was a great place, man. Mm-hmm. And it still is, but you know, like in the 90s and the 80s, it, w- it was an amazing place. Yeah. Yeah. And you're definitely keeping that um that neighborhood connection alive. Like I was mm-hmm. mentioning when I walked in and saw all the kids together and mm-hmm. getting to know each other. What was your sort of home situation like? You just talked about your dad. Yeah. Like, how, do you have siblings? How, mm-hmm. what yeah, well, I have an older sister. Um, okay. Her name is Monique. She's like eight years older than me. But my dad and my mom, they met and she was from a prior marriage. Okay. So we're like half brother and sister. And then uh, my mom and my dad, and it was the four of us for the longest, you know what I'm saying? And um, I was born, I was born... My parents was living in Chinatown when I was born. So my mom is, is is full Chinese and my dad was full black, like super dark, black as my pants, you know uh-huh, what I'm saying? Uh-huh. And my mom was a little short, is a little short Chinese lady and stuff. And so we was born in, um, while well, I was born, we was living in Chinatown. We moved to Fillmore when I was 18 months old and to the Bannockers. And, um, and we like, I don't know, man, like, my parents was in the game at that time. What I mean by in the game, they was hustling. They was, you know, my mom was bartending. Um, my dad, they was all in the street. You know, it was just that kind of lifestyle. And I really, <clears throat> I wasn't, well, no, I, I never had to want for anything until I got a little bit older. And um, my parents got arrested and they had to fight a case and they went through all of that. And then we was poor. You know what I'm saying? It's like, well, you know, that, that whole um, crack era run in the 80s where, so many of us black folks was rich and living this affluent lifestyle and all of that. And then one day the police came and swooped everybody and the whole fortune was gone. That type of stuff, right? Mm. So the struggle hit, welfare, um, you know, food stamps and all of that type of stuff. Just like everything. We 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 went through the regular struggle of the black folk, the 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 plight, you know what I'm saying, and mm-hmm. trying to figure it out. So as at a young age, my um rap was was definitely a passion of mine, but it was the hustle that I was addicted to. It was the business side. It was the, how can we create a record label? You know, like in 1993, when I started really getting into it, being a rapper was corny. You know, like, mm-hmm. oh, you want to rap? Come outside on the block. And all, all my friends were selling crack at that point. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? And like, I was a square, per se, for being a rapper. And then, and then you know, by the time I retired, it was the complete opposite. All the, all the dope dealers wanted to be rappers. You know what I'm saying? Like, it was just a complete 360. Yeah. And um, yeah, typical. My dad was like my best friend. You know what I'm saying? Like he was older. He was 48, 49 when I was born. So he kind of had lived his life and he was de- like devoting his the rest of his life to just raising me and teaching me everything. So right. he was my school. He was my church. He was everything. Like he taught me everything I knew up to that point. And my mom was like the, I don't know, she was a little firecracker. She was the, you know, she was the ignition in the family. She was always, you know, trying to figure it out, hustling. And he was like the brains and the, you know, he was the calm, the, the calm in the storm. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Okay. Um, <clears throat> great dynamic. 
both parents the entire time. They had their issues and stuff, but they never broke up. They stayed together for us, for the kids. And um, yeah, then I started having my own family, you know? Mm-hmm. So yeah, and, and, and my daughter, my oldest daughter, Alani, was born in 2005. And my youngest daughter came two years later, Bianca, in 2007. Mm. I met Danielle in 2005, and we just we just started building our own family, and that's where we at now. And that's beautiful. Yes, so yes. You, got, you got two girls. Yeah, two girls, man. Yeah. I want, I want, I want my my. Th- well, I'm a junior, so I want my third. Okay. I want uh, my baby boy. Hopefully, yeah. I get that before it's you know before we get too old, and uh-huh. we just been so busy and stuff, and we just kind of didn't want to. I mean, because Bianca was kind of born. Alani was born a little bit before. Stuff started popping off in my career, but Bianca was like born right into the storm. Like we was on MTV, on BET, traveling the world. We was all over the place. She used to, by six months, she had been to Las Vegas, Atlanta, Miami by mm. six months old. It was crazy. You know oh. what I'm saying? So we didn't have that, that, um, you know, we was, we was, we was doing well, but we didn't have enough for like an in-home nanny and all that type of stuff. So she had to come with us and, and we had to just thug it out. You know yeah. what I'm saying? So yeah. when that, when we saw that, and we saw the struggle through that. That was another reason why I, I wanted to retire because I wanted to be there and watch them grow up. I didn't want to miss these years at all. So it worked out perfectly because they were able to grow up within Project Level as well. You right. know what I'm saying? And um, that's the reason why we haven't went and had a son yet because we kind of wanted to be settled in, in where we want to be first. And we're kind of getting there now. So it's about that time. So you already know. <laughs> You'll see a little little chubby boy walking around uh, me in a little bit. You know what I mean? So yeah, that's it's what's good. Up. Um, so yeah, I mean, I guess we have to get into a little bit more just about about rap because mm-hmm. uh, um, do you remember the the moment where you was like, uh, I want to do this? Was there like a particular artist, like uh, yeah. a day, like what? Um, it was strange. Rap, like I said earlier, like rapping. I I was I was a little bit more reserved and shy. I wasn't really, and I, I don't feel like I was born as a gifted MC. You know, how some people just born with it. They they can just flow. They can freestyle, everything. Um, I had to really teach myself how to do it because I was so San Quinn. You heard of San Quinn, right? Of yeah. course, right. Yeah, so yeah. he he's like a he's like a big cousin to me, and he was best friends with my with my with my blood cousins. And when I was like eight nine years old, we used to be up there um, on Hayes and Divisadero. And that's where Quinn kind of got his start. He was like 12 at the time, but he was already a young pride. Like everybody knew he was going to be a star at that age. And um, they was in a rap group together, him and my cousins. And they wrote me a little verse as an intro. And he 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 named, he wrote my verse. He said my name was going to be Dollar Bill. Because okay. playing off the rich <laughs> name, right? He's like, uh-huh. your name will be Dollar Bill. And here go your first verse, spit it. You know what I mean? I don't even remember what I said on that verse anymore. But um, that was like my intro, but I was completely... It was too. It was too soon. I wasn't ready. I was like, "Nah, I'm cool." And um, and and my other cousins, what they were in, a, they were in a group called the Neutron. So Jay Valentine, um, and his two brothers Bobby and Ronnie was in a group called um Neutrons, and and their dad managed them. And my, their dad, my dad, was like best friends, and okay. they used to take us down to L.A. and they were signed to like MCA Records, which is um Universal now, right? So we in the big offices, and I'm I'm seeing all of these. I'm seeing Arsenio Hall when he was like the hottest dude in the world, like walking right. in and out there. And I'm seeing all these celebrities and stuff. And I'm just like, man, this is crazy. But I still wasn't ready. But in 2000, I mean, no, excuse me, 1993, I remember that August 22nd, 1993, mm. it was the end of the summer. We was getting ready to go back to school and we was over in the Bannockers and all my friends was just like playing around, freestyling and um, beatboxing and all this. Right. 
and I'm sitting there listening. It was exciting. It was like, oh, this is time. I'm like, man, my mom bought me a karaoke machine for Christmas. Y'all can come up to the house tomorrow and we, we're going to record all of this. You mm -hmm. feel me? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, they're like, what? They didn't know what the heck I was talking about. So I rigged. I got I had like a little rap man Casio keyboard and um I rigged it and put a microphone like this right on the speaker and then I I pressed record on the on the karaoke box and then they rapped into another mic while the mother mic was catching the beat and it just been on ever since. I fell in love with it and but it was from the CEO perspective. I was like I'm going to get all of these rappers together and I'm going to just be like a record label. I'm going to be like, at that time, it, was, it wasn't even Def Row yet. It was like, I'm going to be like Def Jam. You know mm -hmm. what I'm saying? Like, mm -hmm. yeah, Def Row hadn't even like launched at that point. And then, um, yeah, years later, years into it, the reason why I had to pick up the pen was out of necessity. You heard of JT, the bigger figure, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. This dude was my next, well, not my next door neighbor. He lived around the corner. Andre Nicotina was literally, he lived in the same building as us too. So it was all of these big rappers in, in the Bay Area in San Francisco that was like, a block away from where we was at. And I had my little home recording studio and then these kids would come in there and do these songs and then go outside, play it on their little radio. Mm -hmm. And then JT would just go handpick which artists he want. Like, all right, y'all coming over here to get low. And then Nicotina took a few of the rappers. He was like, all right, I'm taking you to the studio. So every time I looked up, I had no rappers to, to have my label with. You know what I mean? So I had to pick up the mic like, man, I'm not going to keep on getting left and, and swallowed up by these bigger rappers. I got to start rapping so I can keep it going. So mm -hmm. that's when I picked up the pen. Mm -hmm. yeah, so, so, okay. So August 22nd, 1993. August 22nd, 1993. And um, in your career, you, you, as you described, your career really started to take off in 2006. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it was a 13-year grind of just dreaming, man. Just dreams. Yep. And was the, is is your biggest record San Francisco? Yeah, San Francisco is is that's for sure my most streamed. Um, what kicked the door open though was a song called "That's the Business," that was produced by EA Ski, and that was when I had my deal at Koch Records in New York. At that time, um, DJ Khaled was signed there, uh, BG, the Hot Boys, Cameron, Dipset. We were all like label mates at that time, mm -hmm. and um, that's I still remember the same month that I came out. We um we did like this three way promo where the song before me was um DJ Unk Walk It Out. You remember oh, that song? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was on the label, and then the week after me was um Jim Jones the Balling song. Balling. Uh -huh, uh -huh, I was like, it was just like uh -huh. a, a amazing time to be there. And E Forty came in. Mm -hmm. He stamped my album. He he presented it. He put his name on it. He he made a lot of phone calls for me. It was a blessing. It was a grind. Um. Yeah, it, it, was, it was a great year, too. It was the hyphy movement. Everything was just kind of just at the right time, you know? Yeah, yeah. Everything was yeah. good. Yeah. I mean, I think that was really the time when, um, you know, the Bay Area, Bay Area music started to get more of a mainstream, like, uh, look. Because before that, it was, it was you know, it was really, like, underground. It was mm -hmm. kind of like the, the Houston Atlanta scene. Yes, absolutely. And, um, and so... That must have that must have been like a beautiful moment to no it was it was surreal you know like um like doing doing the you know recording the album we had no budget we had no money we didn't even have the deal yet and my manager at the time Chuck he was he was the CEO of Dun Deal Entertainment which was myself in a group called Fully Loaded with um another rapper named Your Boy and then Quinn was like the the main guy and Willie Hinn. Willie Hinn is is the male that the man that's the preacher in the last Black Man in San Francisco movie. Mm -hmm. So we was just this big label running the the, the label kind of disbanded, and um, I decided to stay with Chuck. And Chuck already was negotiating this label deal already, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and um, 
so I, you know, just by staying with him, I was able to take on that responsibility of um, the label deal and carry the label on my back by myself. But it was cool though because me and him, we just grinded it out. We was like, we got to do it. We're gonna do it together, and we pulled it together. We got the album done, turned it in, got all the features we needed. We had everybody on it. We had the locks from you know from New York. We had um, E Forty, Be Legit, of course. We had the Federation, everybody mm-hmm. that was hot at that time, Clyde mm-hmm. Carson, mm-hmm. Um, yeah, every, I mean everybody, Turf Talk, everybody, and then we, we, you know, and it was right timing. E forty had went. What really helped the hyphen movement, though, to be honest, not only the passing of Mac Dre, unfortunately, R.I.P. the Dre, um, that kind of helped the sound start generating nationwide, right? Because it was a lot of tributes to him. Mm-hmm. And then when Forty decided to go sign with Lil John. Mm-hmm. While Lil John was like the hottest producer in the world at the time, um, and then tell me when the go came, and then tell me when the go featured Keek the Sneak. Like I don't think a lot of people thought about like, dang, like the hottest underground rapper in the Bay Area was Keek at the time, right? Mm-hmm. He he gets put on the the Icon single, E mm-hmm. Forty single, mm-hmm. produced by Lil John, going through Lil John's channel. It just it just exploded, man. Like you yeah. know what I mean? And we was just kind of and then and then the, to be able to have Forty present my album. Just helped me so so much, especially because my sound wasn't necessarily hyphy, mm-hmm. right? Like it was like it was a, it was you know what the street music I would call it, and that kind of like helped balance it. You know what I'm saying? And 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 it was good for people to see Forty like co-signing like a street rapper compared to all of the hyphy stuff. So it was just a cool, it was a cool time. It was yeah. a cool time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I um. I was in co- I graduated high school in two thousand three, and so I was in, I was in college when uh, mm-hmm. "Tell Me When to Go" came out. Yeah, yeah. and mm-hmm. um, the first time I saw it was on YouTube, mm-hmm. and YouTube was like still very early. Still very early. Yeah, I <laughs> and, remember those days. Yeah, yeah. And, I, and I, you know, and I actually grew. I mean, I listened to KMO growing up yeah, and all of that, yeah. and I remember obviously E Forty was a part of you know all of our childhoods on absolutely. radio. Um, absolutely, sprinkle me. Yes, you know? yes, sir. Yes, dollar, sir. dollar, mm-hmm. all of that. Nah, for real. Yeah, for, and, real, uh, for real. But when that came, but that came out, it was like, whoa. It was home. It felt good. Yeah, it felt yeah. right. And then with Mac, I actually didn't. Uh, I, I didn't listen to a lot of Mac Dre while mm-hmm. he was um, alive. But uh, not my job. That was like my. Yeah, app. yeah, yeah. See, so you know what's up. You yeah, need your, yeah, yeah, yeah. Dre. It was a trip because, um, and I say this a lot too. Like Dre was a close. I met Dre when he first got out in ninety seven, ninety eight. And then we took him to Kansas City for the first time. We had got booked mm. by some promoters in 99. So I was still in high school and we was out in, um, in hot ass um, Kansas City. It was very, it was like a heat wave that week. I remember we stayed out there for like 11 days and he got embedded with everybody in that scene. He was like Tupac in Kansas City, mm. which is which is ironic that he ended up passing away five years later in Kansas City, right? Mm-hmm. But he, um, he was still the older Dre. He was still the like... The baseball cap, you know, more like the player, the Mac. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know, he came, we came back home and he was just putting out music and then he just started experimenting with his look and the sound. And then he just came with this whole uh, Ronald Dragon. And that was the first time we seen him like get out of character or get into character. Mm-hmm. And he just started creating this persona and he just kept going. And I kind of was confused a little bit, to be mm-hmm. honest. I, but mm-hmm. I, I knew the marketing. I was like, every time we run into him, he's like, what's up, Rich, man? What's going on? I'm like, man, what's up, bro? Like, I'm like, you look different. <laughs> you know what I mean? And um, but he he knew he it was his plan the whole time. You know what I'm saying? And he um he 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 succeeded at it. And unfortunately, he wasn't able to see the ultimate success. That's usually how it happened as well, which we was talking about off camera about Nip. Mm-hmm. But like he um man, 
he he really cracked off that hyphy movement for us. You know, with the mm-hmm. whole animated look, the vibe, the party, the the good feeling. You know, bringing back the old like digital underground Humpty Hump type. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. like the Bay Area, we we we're revolutionaries out here, but we also know how to have a good time and party. Right. Very innovative, very diverse. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean with our music for sure. Mm-hmm. Before we leave music, what would you say is the current status of Bay Area music, Bay Area hip hop music? Um, like currently at this second, this moment right now, um, it needs, it needs a resurgence right now. I know over the, like the last four or five years though, we had a great, great new generational run. You know what I mean? Like the Pilos, the SOBs, the, um, you know, a lot of artists was going gold and platinum. Like we never was able to reach that success. You know Mm -hmm. what I'm saying? Like in Filmo, the only, um, rapper that we know of that went gold is rapping Fote. You know what I'm saying? So to come now and just see so many artists is like reaching this this insane level. But at this second, at this complete second, um, it 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 is is we're thirsty for another star to come out and 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 blow it up. So I'm excited to see who's next. I, I'm very sure it's gonna happen. But um, like right now on this day, it's yeah, it's been it's been kind of quiet. So I think I think it's a new kid that's finna bubble up and. And come take over. Yeah. So I'm excited about that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I really like um up until this point in our conversation, like you really um highlighted the positive mm-hmm. around all the great people that came out of the Bay Area hip hop, around mm-hmm. all the beautiful things about the neighborhood. And I, I know like, you know, and so but whenever you talk to hip hop artists, people that know a lot of hip hop artists, mm-hmm. it's it's always um I don't know who to break up or who 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 doesn't like each other. You know? Yeah, oh yeah. Let me yeah, tell that, you who yeah. my favorite rapper is right <laughs> yeah, now. Yeah. My favorite Barry rapper is uh Mozzie. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Mozzie, Mozzie is, is 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 lyrical, like he's a monster. You know, um when we first heard him, I'm like, he's dope. I was like, is he gonna be able to sustain it? Mm-hmm. Right? Because when you when you when you spitting bars in, in this era, it's not appreciated, mm-hmm. right? It's mm-hmm. like because you know all this weird stuff that's going, you know what I mean? Like all this weird music. Right. And um I was like, could he crack through in in this world of weird music? Could he really come through with hard <laughs> lyrics? Yeah, and he did, man. He 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 did. He's 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 super successful, very humble, very a very nice young man. Like, and well, I'm not saying that in in a soft way. You know how people are like, no, a very good dude, a good father. He everything. Like he he's a he's a good young man. I met him a few times, and mm-hmm. it's always very respectful. He knows who everyone is. He a, he a student of the game. He knows everybody, and he knows he knows how to how to approach people. Mm-hmm. That dude gonna be around for a while. Yeah. I love him for yeah. real. Yeah. Well, who, who do you, not not just like hip hop because mm-hmm. I know you you know like you're a man of many tastes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Who do you listen to? Who am I listening to right currently right now? To get going, I'm I'm messing with Roddy Rich. Okay. Oh I, yeah, 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 yeah. Like he's like probably the first new age rapper. Besides like future, but I don't really consider future new age. He's been around for like over a decade. Drake, of course, and all them dudes. But like out of the new dudes, Roddy Rich is the one that I really got into. I tried to mess with the Migos. They dope. I still listen to him and stuff. But Roddy, he's talented. Okay. He's really talented. Like, and when you listen to his album and you hear all of the dimensions in his work and his music and his his um his musical knowledge, you know what I'm saying? From playing the piano to to how he does, like I just thought that he was just using auto tune, but he really uses auto tune as mm-hmm. a, as an instrument, mm-hmm. and um, super talented. So I'm listening to Roddy right now for sure. Yeah, yeah. And so, so the city that we both love, yeah, that that your home girl is running right now. Uh huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, 
what what yeah, is a the, whole lot going on right there too <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. um yeah so talk talk a little bit about what you think are some of the top issues in the city and um mm-hmm. you know as you see them man um there's a lot man you know like it's 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 kind of like it's too is was or just speaking from the I'm just speaking from the African American population right it's 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 a double bladed sword it's like it's only four percent of us left five percent whatever it is. it fluctuates from I hear five point nine to all the way down to two point nine I don't know what it is mm-hmm. but it's not a lot of us right and it's two ways to look at it our population we still consider our population as being extremely underserved mm-hmm. but when it's such a small fraction of the overall population it's like that's when it gets tricky for me because it'd be like well it's easy to serve three percent right like it's like it's not even gonna take a lot of resources to serve that small amount of people um but then on the flip side sometimes you get lost because it's, it's such a small voice in population that it can get lost in the channels of this stuff especially because our population isn't extremely involved in the politics down there to figure out like even the services that we can that we have available to us like mm-hmm. you know with the work that um that Danielle and myself do project level is one thing but family restoration house um is 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 owned by Danielle's father Gary Banks and we all do services and Danielle kind of head and runs that whole that whole team um, and we do services for four different housing projects in mm-hmm. here. So Hayes mm-hmm. Valley, um, Robert B. Pitts, which is Turkwood, the chop, you already know, of uh, Westside <laughs> Courts. And now um, we're getting into um, um, Plaza East, OC. Okay. Okay. And just literally trying to break down barriers of just helping families like get services that, that they don't even know that exist. So it's like if th- there will be like pots of money to help these populations and these populations don't know how to go get to it. And that's a big reason why we're underserved. Um, but if we had the knowledge and we was, and that's what we're trying to do with all of these, all of these families and, and these kids is like teaching them how to, how to know their presence in this city, how to know how to navigate in this and be down there and get active and see what's going on. Because, because, that's what they can use against us. They can be like, well, it, the help is there. You're just not activating it. You're not coming to it. Mm-hmm. And we feel like, well, you should bring it to us. And then it's just this tug of war. Mm-hmm. Right. So, um, yeah, man, I'm, I'm, I'm optimistic though. Mm-hmm. Very optimistic. And, and, and being in a, in a um, progressive city, you know, this is, this is the city where you can get a, you can get a permit to go protest. You know what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. you can get people come bring you water to make sure that you don't, you know, you don't faint while you're protesting. This is a very revolutionary city, revolutionary area. The Black Panthers came from right across the water. You know what I mean? So, um, but on the other side too, I'm I'm definitely 100 percent one of those, one of those activists that feel like I can make a lot more change from inside out than outside in. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. um, that's been my standpoint. And I'm not a politician and I, you know, I always get asked, do you, I'm like, nope, I'm, I'm a community leader and I love to do that. And I love to work with politicians, right. To, mm-hmm. to try to help them in some ways. Like, I mean, like, I know you're woke and you understand what's needed and you're going to do a good job when you, you know, you know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Uh-huh. Um, right on. <laughs> London, in, in my, in my opinion, because I know her from a different angle. I don't know the politician. I know London, mm-hmm. um, London, miss, miss London breed the mayor again. I want to make sure we do that. And, um, <laughs> So I know where her heart is at, right? Mm-hmm. So I like it's like 
I never get lost in the in the political stuff that happens. I never get lost in it because I know exactly what she how she feels every day. And that's who and how I want to work with mm-hmm. these folks on that level. I don't want to work on I don't even know policies out. I'd be like, what? You know what I mean? Like when I talk to Shimon and them and he be hitting me with this language, like I know Shimon Walton as as a um a black male, you know, from San Francisco that grew up here, that's always been a leader, that's always been trying to help our youth. And that, and that's how I was introduced to him. And that's how I built my bond with him. Mm-hmm. So I want to keep it that way because we we know what we need to do to help these these kids. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, and I think that those like those neighborhood pillars, those like people that build these organizations that are community institutions, mm-hmm. they um they need to be able to persist and build no matter who's in what position. Absolutely. And when we get people like Shaman and and uh, Supervisor Walton yeah. and, and Mayor Breed in those positions, um, you know, we we definitely have an opportunity to to get plugged into things that, and get educated Absolutely. on things. And we see ourselves and you know, it's like it's um it's very uplifting, you know, yeah, all, you no, know, all that is. stuff. It really is. Um, it really and, is. And so but people like you are definitely a part of the solution and how we turn these things around. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um when you mentioned about uh access to resources, you know, knowledge yourself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, we were talking a little bit about, you know, well, I want to get into the issue at Forever Twenty One. Gotcha. <laughs> and, gotcha. Uh, and and as we navigate the city, you know, we come up in these as black people coming up in America, we run into these situations where uh, the world will try to tell us what they think about us, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and um, it's easy to accept that. Yeah. Right when I, I had uh, I had Brian, who we both know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and um, he had this whole incident where the police bum rushed one of his music videos, mm-hmm. and and Joe, yeah. um, Robert Joe, you know about all that. That was crazy. Yeah, yeah. over yeah. over in Hunters Point, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember yeah. that. That, yeah. that hit the news and everything. Yeah, yeah. that was yeah. that was crazy. Yeah, that was wild. So, so um, you know what happened at Forever Twenty One, and I, I kind of wanted to also transition into mm-hmm. uh, what sh- what should the mentality be for the young people that. Uh, you're bringing up around how to engage in the world, but let's talk about yeah, the first twenty one yeah. first. No, no, that that that's the perfect way because I think that the way that that we that we handled the Forever Twenty One thing is kind of like a a platform for how we wanted to show it, right? Like, all right, I have an unorthodox way of explaining things, and sometimes like my 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 kids, like project level kids and stuff, they kind of be like, "What are you talking about?" You know what I <laughs> mean? Like, but like in this world, we are excited by violence. Um, as much as we don't want to admit to that, we are, right? Like football is the number one sport in the world for a reason, right? Mm-hmm. Like the Super Bowl is the number one event in entertainment, one day event, right? And because um, they hitting each other, you know, boxing, like Floyd Mayweather making $100 million a fight because mm-hmm. he's hitting or he's ducking, getting hit, whatever. It's still boxing, right? <laughs> like we love violence. And and. You able, you're able to, um, you know, action movies. Andre, I mean, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger and Sylvester Stallone. I can go on and on. So to say that we don't love violence would be lying, right? Like, I mean, some, not all of us do. I don't really care for it. I didn't play football and stuff because of that. I was more of a finesse big dude. Like, mm-hmm. but um, but the but the point of what I'm saying is that in protest, it's a form of of violence in in as far as like getting your um your anger out about the situation and voicing your opinion and and using it usually in like yelling and force, with force, I would say, right? And we didn't want to do that with the Forever 21 thing. We knew that we could have 
you know, protesting. So to give the story, because I don't know if, you know, everybody probably don't know. So we, this this past summer, we were working um, with the Opportunities for All Initiative by Mayor Breed, and we, we took on like 80 youth. Like we had like one of the biggest cohorts in the city. A lot of youth wanted to come participate. We was kind of scared of the numbers, but we was like, forget it, let's do it. We're going to figure it out. So we decided to like create this big marketing company this summer, right? And the marketing, the... um the main the main focal point of the marketing company will be producing a magazine mm-hmm. and like an old school real physical magazine print magazine that they don't do much anymore right mm-hmm. and a lot of the kids was exposed to like a paper magazine for the first time which is crazy to me mm-hmm. but they um we were getting ready to do the editorial shoot mm-hmm. the and the whole spread and it was going to be a fashion spread and we went we me Danielle and about eight of our youth we went downtown to go like Shop for this for this thing. Shopping though, not even getting free stuff. We was going to go shop, and we 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 went to a few stores. And by the time we got to Forever Twenty One, that was kind of like the cleanup store. That's the one we always go to. That's gonna always have the looks that we need. Mm-hmm. We just wanted to get the major pieces from other places and go get everything else we didn't get at our our favorite store in the world, Forever Twenty One. Mm-hmm. So we get there. By that time, we got maybe like six or seven bags in our possession because we've been shopping all day. And because we're so comfortable there, we kind of putting the bags down, we pulling stuff off, we bringing stuff out of the bag to compare the clothes and, you know, match the stuff and stuff like that. What we do all of the time. Um, that particular Sunday, it was a Sunday, that particular morning, um, the regular staff wasn't on duty. Like it was a new manager. We only we only knew because we know them by like first name basis type stuff. We meet and greet each other. Um, we only knew a few of the staff members that day. So it was kind of, you know, we figured that, oh, OK, well, they don't know who we are. It's, um, you know, we don't look at us, but we still, it was still like in the back of our mind. Mm-hmm. Um, as we were trying to close on in, in the dressing room, we noticed two officers walked in and I jokingly said, oh, they own us. Like, well, you know, like we always say, you know, we just yeah, joke because we just used to that. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, these two particular artists were on us. They, I mean, officers were on us. They, they came and beeline straight for Danielle and, um, so I got up and I'm like, you know, hey, what's going on? Y'all like, she she ain't doing anything. Well, they was like, well, um, the manager called the police and said that they saw this lady stuff Forever 21 merchandise into some bags. And I'm well, like, whatever. The story, so the, the officer turned around immediately. Oh, Rich, right? He knew me I, I, immediately. He was like, Rich, just, you know, let us do our job. You know, I don't want to put him on blast and say his name or anything, but he was just like, just let us do our job. We know y'all good, but just let us do our job. Like, go ahead, get everything. I made, I made the kids bring everything out. They went through all of the stuff. I'm like, look again, keep looking. You know what I'm saying? And then we were like, me and Danielle both kind of like at the same time was like, and once you clear us, we just want an apology. We move on with our day. But we didn't want these kids to see us getting like hemmed up. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Without mm-hmm. no kind of recollect what was resilient, whatever the word, yeah. without without no kind of apology. Uh-huh. We wanted we wanted that to happen. So, um, he went, he said, no problem. I got you. Y'all clear. Everything looks good. I'm about to go talk to her. He went to go speak to her. He came back like five minutes later. He was like, hey, she said y'all can continue to shop, but she doesn't feel comfortable issuing an apology. Mm. I'm, like, I'm like, comfortable? I'm like, <laughs> the police is here though. Like, what are we going to, like, nothing, we ain't going to beat her up. Like, we right. just, we just wanted that so the kids can see that so they can have some form of reassurance that everything is okay. They, you know, it that type of stuff is traumatizing. We're used to it, but they're young. And she was like, I'm sorry. I'm not, I'm not gonna apologize. So we was like, all right, cool. Then the then the police officer was like, 
she should definitely apologize. Like y'all should y'all should take this further. So let's step out, get off their premises, and we can explain to you what y'all should do next. Mm. So I'm thinking, I'm like, all right, all of these people in the store is looking at us, right? And then these two police officers is about to walk us outside. It looks like we're being escorted out. So I pulled out my phone and I'm like, all right, I'm gonna film this part. And then that's when I said, and then Danielle pulled out her phone and she documented it. And we just said some stuff like, we will never steal. We don't have to steal. We have too much power, influence, all that. We just, you know, just talking. Right. Had no intentions at that point to post it. We just wanted to document it. We went outside. The police officer said, um, what they, they was like, man, this, this ain't cool. She was she was definitely supposed to at least apologize. The customer is always right. She definitely, um, they had security on the grounds. They bypassed the security and went straight to the police, right? Yeah. Meaning yeah. like it escalated too fast, too quick. That could have spent off into something crazy. The kids could have went off and, and talked back and got arrested. You know what I'm saying? Like anything mm -hmm. could have happened. They shouldn't have did that. I'm like, all right, cool. Thank you for agreeing. We got the information. We moved on. We went across the street to the mall. Me and Danielle just wasn't feeling right. It was like, this is weird. I'm like, Danielle, let's go back over there. It's just us two on some adult stuff and talk to them. Mm -hmm. um, she was like, nah, let's call first. I don't want to make a wasted trip. So she called, somebody answered, said that they were the manager. And they said, I'm sorry you feel that way, but we cannot issue you an apology. And we were like, all right. She started, Danielle, at this point, because, you know, six, seven months ago, we kind of over it now. And we have a great relationship with them now. So it's like six, seven months ago, it's, it's not as bad. But she was distraught. Danielle was hurt because she she was the one that got hemmed up. You know mm -hmm. what I'm saying? And mm -hmm. I've been hemmed up plenty of times with the police. So it doesn't matter. It doesn't bother me the way it bothers her. She started crying. And when I saw her crying, it made me like I pulled out my phone and I posted the video. Right. When I posted the video, it just went crazy. Like mm -hmm. thousands and thousands of reposts. Mm -hmm. It went viral, quote, you know, like mm -hmm. quote unquote. Mm -hmm. So we started getting like, like, a million people was reaching out, a million like important figures and all, all kind of people reaching out. And by the next day, Channel 5 News had, had caught wind to it. They came straight to project level. They filmed a piece on us. They put it out that night. Um, the examiner reached out, put us on the front cover. Like it was, it was just like fast, right? Mm -hmm. And at this time, like we like, we didn't want this. This wasn't the this wasn't the purpose for it. We were just like, if you're not gonna apologize, then we're gonna make this a public matter. Cause we was trying to keep it under wraps mm -hmm. and um it became public and just it was it was it was weird because a guy that used to promote um parties that he used to book me at some parties he caught wind of it he got some phone calls about it and he saw it mm -hmm. and he was friends with one of the owners in the family it's, it's the chang family that owns forever 21 it's a chinese family in the from los angeles and he knows one of the owners mm -hmm. And he called them and was mm -hmm. like, "Hey, y'all need to check this out. Like, it's it's spreading. This guy is a is a, is a is, you know he he's a big figure in San Francisco. His wife got hemmed up. Like, y'all want to check this out? Mm -hmm. So simultaneously as that's happening, um, man, all kind of folk. We was getting like le letters was being written, like generals in the army. It was all kind of crazy stuff, and people wow. were just like." Hey, my um my friend's father is a general in the in the U.S. Army, and he was so appalled by what he saw, and he just wanted to he wanted to he wanted you to know that he wrote this letter and he sent it to their corp the, you know corporate offices. Take a look, like we was just getting those kind of letters and emails every day, and we're like, damn, like the support is out there, and mm -hmm. and and we like you know let's use this voice to really because we we just it was about respect and it was about equity and it's about it's about the um being you know being like. There was 
thousands of kids. Number one, we know for a fact that kids shoplift and, and people shoplift in general. Mm -hmm. So we understand they were as a business they were doing. But once you found out that we were innocent, you had a very, very, very long time to issue your apology. You get what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. All like staff members was reposting the videos and they went in the back and was like, man, y'all messed up. Y'all picked the wrong ones. This is going to be ugly. So then their staff started getting scared, blah, blah, blah. Ownership reached out mm -hmm. probably by like two days after that. They reached out. Then when they started getting the flood, the letters coming in, then they was like, okay, we're going to fly up tomorrow. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? And they flew mm -hmm. up. We met, we met down at City Hall in um, Joaquin Torres' office. And because at that point, they reached out. They found out about it. We, we it was no phone. I didn't call like none of our, you know, friends, you know, that mm -hmm. I didn't I didn't call any of them. They all saw it and they reached out. And Forever 21 came up here and just like just they had an idea of like, cause they they knew they asked us from the beginning, like basically not asked us straight up, but like they knew that we didn't want to sue. Mm -hmm. We didn't want a lawsuit because we was like, that's corny. Like we just want, we just want this to get fixed. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Because I was coming off of um H and M situation where the coolest kid in the jungle or the coolest monkey oh, right, in the right, jungle, right, 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 and we right, was right, like, right. we already started like boycotting them and not not shopping there anymore. So we like, man, y'all was our favorite store. Like we we just want a form of apology. Mm -hmm. Forever Twenty One took it a notch up and was like, since all of your kids are, you know, young creators and, and dancers, singers, fashion models, fashion designers, like, let's do a collaboration. Mm. And we're like, okay, like, you know what I mean? So like, what you talking about? So he like, their lawyers came up with this with this plan and 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 then they, they sent it to us and then Danielle kind of fine tuned it and added stuff to it. And we came up with this big package and, and um, it's gonna be like a multiple collection release collaboration with them for you know for for like 18 months within that time we're going to produce a bunch of work and it's going to be worldwide released mm. um all their all, of course all their websites a majority of their stores we're going to rewrite the hr policies and stuff we're going to rewrite like how they hire mm. um their sensitivity training their interactions with with with, with customers um Internships is, is is in the package. Mm. Scholarships, I pay scholarships for the kids that, that want to leave here and go down to Los Angeles. It's various schools. We're gonna set up like a a scholarship fund with them. It's gonna be a lot. It's gonna be a lot. It's gonna be and and then um, it's like the first of this kind with the major like department store and a and a and a and a nonprofit of our magnitude of our size. Like we're a boutique. Mm -hmm. um, organization so being able to collaborate and they're giving us full control 100 of the proceeds everything comes back to us we own everything we're producing the video content we're producing the social media campaign um we get billboards in times square i don't know if i mentioned that we got we getting the billboards everything like they're going all out so that's, yeah so so basically all that long story right there wow. the point of it is is that we didn't have to throw run one rock at them we didn't have to you know put one picket sign up and i just i just wanted the kids know it's, it's more than one way to skin a cat. You mm -hmm. know what I'm saying? And you mm -hmm. can still get the job done, but you got to go in there. You got to be you got to be very stern, very forceful in what you what you stand for. But they gonna listen to you. Mm -hmm. You got to make them listen sometime. Though, mm -hmm. You know. Mm -hmm. Wow, I actually had no idea all that had happened. Yeah, it was it's crazy, bro. I mean, I, crazy. I, I I saw I saw it on the local news. Mm -hmm. I didn't know about the outpour support nor mm -hmm. the plan that the company um, worked with you on. To mm -hmm. try to atone for what happened. Yeah, um, yeah. And I think there's like this. Uh, we talked. You talked about getting hemped up, and you know, I talked about the situation with Brian. Uh, people don't understand that um, 
a lot of black people, not all black people, mm-hmm. but a lot of black people walk around carrying this sense that um, they're being watched or they're going to, or they're like, people are going to look at them as criminal. Mm-hmm. And it's be like, you know, Latinos mm-hmm. too. It's like, and so when you walk into a store, there's, there's already some apprehension, Yeah, you know? And so um, to get that affirmed when you're just trying to, when you're trying to spend your money, mm-hmm. you know? But mm-hmm. um, so everyone who a lot of people sympathize with your situation, mm-hmm. right? You, I'm sure you're getting support from people with many different backgrounds. Oh yeah, we got a lot. We got we even um, was getting hits from people that was like, I just went through something like that. Like, could y'all help me? You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And in those situations, it was like, well, it was maybe a little bit too late. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, I was just telling them like, get involved, get get down there to the powers that be in your city and 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 get and get them behind you because once you get city hall behind you and other important figures. You're going to force Target or whoever it was that they had the issues with to have to bust a move. You yeah. know what I'm saying? And, yeah. and if they're a stand-up um, corporation, a stand-up organization, they're going to bust a move. And if they don't, you got to continue to hold them accountable. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I think it's I think it's a lot to say, too, that, you know, it was uh, it was serious that you were a builder, that you and your wife are builders. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And um, you want to turn this negative into an opportunity to build. Absolutely. And, you know, in that company of that side, they obviously know how to build. Yeah. So yeah. there's a an op- there's a way for you to uh, see that operation. And I know you've seen other major corporations do music, but, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. a major retailer, that's like a whole other type of... Yeah, I can't lie. I mean, they they make $4 billion a year. You know what I'm saying? Like, we, we went... Um, the first time we went down, met with the ownership, met with the team and the global marketing director. She's from San Francisco and she's been like very pivotal in making sure that they handle their side of it. It's been a blessing, like just the learning, learning how it works and learning the whole trades of it, like the side, the backside, the 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 legal side, the the trademark stuff that I was just talking about. Like it's been amazing for the youth, especially me and Danielle learned it, but the youth is just like engulfed in all of this information that we're not even going to understand the magnitude of it until maybe 10 years from now when some of these kids are off and they're they're running their own million dollar corporations the same way because of what they're learning now. It, it turned out to be an amazing opportunity. And then we even wanted to take it a step further because we wanted to explain to everyone it was not about Danielle and myself. It was completely about the youth because we did this casting call, like a modeling call. We was like, they were like, yeah, we can get you know, these influencers, we can pay all of these superstars to come be in, you know, wear y'all clothes. We're like, nope, mm-hmm. we don't want that either. We want, we we completely want a grassroots campaign where all of the models are hand selected from the Bay Area, number one, and then also with no real resumes. Mm-hmm. We wanted like untapped talent because that's kind of like what our kids represent, like this new t- untapped talent. Mm-hmm. And so we did a casting call, 20,000 people submitted. We um, it's all in the documentary. We documented all of this oh, stuff too. Wow. It's gonna be fun. <laughs> and um, four hundred people. We cut twenty thousand down to four hundred. They all showed up at the cultural center on a Sunday morning, and the whole parking lot was packed. Mm-hmm. And um, and then we went through all of them. We interviewed them, did everything, and we and we selected. We was only gonna select six. We ended up selecting like twenty two people, and they're gonna be the faces along with our with our youth in Project Level. They're gonna be like the faces of the campaign. And we just want to keep it like that. We want to keep it grassroots. We don't want to put too much, you know, fancy gloss on this. We want to make sure that that this benefits everyone. Because, yeah. you know, some of those same people that that made it to the through the casting call have been discriminated against as well. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? So mm-hmm. this is definitely for the people. Every guest I have on the show, I wrap up and we talk about two things. Mm-hmm. And that is uh, leadership and legacy. 
Got it. And, um, you know, you obviously have been a, a you've, you've built platforms and you've built a career trying to put other people on. Mm-hmm. And as you're also growing simultaneously, definitely that involves, um, you know, listening and leading. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which is, which doesn't have to be different, but uh, do you have any guiding principles when it comes to leadership? Yeah. Um, I always, I always, it's a piece that, that I produce for the campaign. Like a, it's going to be the first thing that we launch when we start promoting the whole collection. Um, and it's about courage, right? And courage isn't always about like jumping out of a window, you know, a burning house. It's not always about that. It's as a leader, though, you definitely have to be fearless in in the consequences. And sometimes we get afraid of of doing the right thing instead of the thing that looks good, right? And and it's like even doing it that way, we got backlash. They was like, nah, man, we supposed to go down there 200 deep. We're going to break their windows. And I'm like, and then what? Mm. You know what I'm saying? And then what? Then, then we're going to be, we're going to get arrested. And yeah, we're going to make a splash. I'm not in it for the splash. I don't want all of the, the, um, the fame that comes along with doing that. Right. And, or even in 1993, when all of my friends was, was selling, you know, 20 shots in, in crack. Mm-hmm. And they said I was a square for rapping. And I chose that path. And then when I left rap and everybody said, oh, you stupid. You one of the biggest rappers in San Francisco. How could you do that? I was like, because I have another vision and my passion, my heart is taking me that way. So just being fearless and, and not and not being, um, you know, subjected to peer pressure and and other people telling you what, you know, or what society telling you what the standard is and what you should be. You got to because how you gonna lead? You know, if you if you if you copying and pasting somebody else and you following somebody else, how you ever gonna be a leader yourself, right? Mm-hmm. And and if people are following you and you only you only like you just sticking the status quo and following somebody else, and you ain't a true leader. So you got to be fearless. You got to go out there and 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 experiment with things and kind of you know not be afraid to fail. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And, and and once you do, pick it back up, adjust, learn from what you just went through. That I always learn from my losses. I I embrace the losses because I I learn way more from the L's that I took than the W's. I don't learn from the W's. I'm like, all right, cool. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? We won. We were supposed to. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, boom. And then, but when we take an L, oh yeah, I I sit down and I analyze the tape like a like mm-hmm. a like an athlete. You right. know what I'm saying? And, right. and um and just try to get better. Stay humble. Know that the process can be long and it's not. You know, I, I feel like um, legacy and leadership. Well, legacy. The other point that you had is very important. And and when you when a person cares about the legacy that they leave behind, they're not really worried about when that fortune will come, mm-hmm. right? Because if it's about getting getting rich quick, we can go get as many ways to make some money fast. But your legacy is going to be very, 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 you know, very. Short and bland. It's not going to leave a long-standing legacy, right? So, the more value we pump into that, the more lives that we affect, the more changes that we make. Um, you know, when people are making history in real time, they don't realize it. You know what I'm saying? They just going after it. They passionate about it. Mm-hmm. And in ten years, twenty years later, you look back and you be like, "Oh man, I didn't even realize we was innovating something that that." You know what I mean? Like I didn't even know that this was the first time that was happening. So. When you make a history, you don't even know it, man. You just you just love what you do. Mm, that's yeah. that's my take on it. Yeah, 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 mm-hmm. yeah. Well, um, yeah, my uh, on just just on the legacy piece because you you I think you did sum it up um, pretty like beautifully, mm-hmm. uh, really beautifully. 
I named my company after my great grandfather. It's called the Luther Harris Holding Company. That's real. Uh, we, our family moved here in 1947. We mm -hmm. bought the house on Oak Street. Nice. And, nice. Uh, Ooh, see, that's that's that was smart. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> yeah, that was a great investment. Well, you know, mm -hmm. it was it was uh, it was at a time when you this city was this area, the city was considered undesirable. Got it. <clears throat> Got so it. you couldn't get a bank loan. Gosh. It was yeah. redlined. Damn. And um and so he came here with a sixth grade education. He mm -hmm. bought homes for him and all of his children. Mm -hmm. And uh he did it at a time when when, you know, it was much harder for black people. Of course. And so uh Luther Harris's legacy is important to me. Absolutely. This is his dictionary. Wow. And uh these I gotta touch it. <laughs> Damn, this is this is authentic right here, too, yeah, guys. Man. Like it's just letting you know this is that's real. Yeah. That's real. And uh this is uh my great grandmother's chair. That's what we're talking about the chair is we're sitting on. <laughs> that's crazy. So and we so, sitting on history. We sitting on history uh, yeah, just so, there. Yeah, yeah. That's so what's um, up, bro. So in I mean, do you is there how do you think about your legacy? You talked about it. Do you have anything else to say about it? Yeah. Um last point I think about the legacy is I, I'm aware that I'm like the first in my family to do any of this, mm -hmm. right? So I know that um, if I want, you know, my dad used to always be like, Richard, like you got to have some sons. We got to, because my last name is Bouget. He's from New Orleans, um, Creole. Mm -hmm. And I don't know any Bougets out here. You know, like on Facebook, I know a million of them. They all over. I got cousins <laughs> all over the, the whole country. Uh -huh. But out here, um, he oh, was worried about- New Orleans, by the way. Sorry, oh, yeah, yeah. Is that, yeah, 100%. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And um, he, like- he was here. He was alive. He died in 2009, the end of 2009, the lung cancer. But he was old. He was like uh -huh. 70, 70, mm -hmm. lived it up. But um, he had two granddaughters. My uh -huh. two daughters, he was, you know, he had three granddaughters. My sister has a daughter too. But he he was worried. He was like, ah. He was like, Bianca ain't a boy, huh? Mm -hmm. Like, nah, pops, don't worry. We're going to get it. Because he, he wanted the family name to carry on. And so me knowing that if I ever have a son or not, um, I just want I want my daughters and and just the name to 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 live on forever because I am creating the, the real legacy for my family and that's that's a lot of pressure but I but I embrace it and I take it on like fully I, I embrace it one thousand percent so I want to leave something because my dad always wants to leave the knowledge with me he wasn't able to leave the um the legacy in a way you know to like really affect the city and affect the environment that he stayed in. But he left me with a lot of knowledge and a lot of tools to be able to do it for my family. So, mm -hmm. you know, hopefully that could be my dictionary for my great grandkids later. Mm -hmm. And they're like, man, my, my great grandfather, you know, did a lot for San Francisco, did a lot for his community. And we, we, we honor him. You know what I'm saying? So it's kind of cool. And I want to stay aware of that. I want to be very aware of that and make sure that, that um, I leave him something to be proud of. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That's real. Thank you, Big Rich. Thank you. Thank you, Stamon. Appreciate man. you, bro. It was a great. Appreciate it. One of the best interviews ever right here. I loved it. <laughs> he pulled out stuff in and I talked a lot as you can tell, but I love it. Appreciate it, yeah, bro. Yeah, no, I appreciate you. Much love. Yeah. Peace, peace, and thank you for listening to a, another episode of Cook on Monday Morning. At Cook on Monday Morning, we believe that if you own Monday morning, you can own the week. If you own the week, you can own the year. And if you change your year, you can change your life. Big Rich had an incredible music career. He's now transitioned into youth work and community building. It was great to have him on, to hear his story, to see San Francisco and the Fillmore District through his eyes, and to see him really turn situations that weren't so positive into opportunities to, to build and to put people on. And so 
I really appreciate him for taking the time this morning. I appreciate all of you for uh, tuning in to another episode. Thank you. I'd like to thank all the people that made this podcast possible. Uh, David Topete. I'd also like to thank Fernando and Cinco Marquez for the uh, editing that he does for the newsletter. And again, to all the people that have been supporting, commenting, sharing, giving me feedback. We are building something, I think, slowly but beautifully together. This whole idea of improving ourselves and improving our communities, making the most of our Monday mornings and changing our our mindset on what's possible if we change our attitude and focus on improving ourselves. So thank you for that feedback. Thank you for supporting the podcast. We've been on this journey to get to 2020 subscriptions by April 30th of this year of 2020. We are on our way and it's because of you. This is also about, uh, you know, building a community with people in other places. And I want to mention some of those cities. I also just like to highlight and thank all the people that are building in places like Oakland, LA, Houston, Dallas, New Orleans, Philadelphia, Detroit, New York, Miami, Indianapolis, Cleveland. Thank you. I want to hear from you. I want to get to know you and, you know, give me feedback on what you want to see from the show and, uh, you know, continue to make the most of your Monday morning. I'd like to finally just thank all the people of San Francisco that helped this city run, that uh, make it what it is to our teachers, our school lunch workers, our janitors, the people that keep our streets safe, our first responders, our muni drivers. Thank you. You keep San Francisco moving. This city is amazing because of you. This podcast is for you. Until next week, peace, peace, and we out.